BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, everybody, and welcome to RealPod. I'm Victoria Garrick, former D1 athlete and mental health and body image advocate. Every Wednesday, I'll be bringing you awesome guests, weekly inspiration, and the realest conversations around everything and anything. Now let's get real. Welcome back to Real Pod. I hope everyone is doing great. I'm really looking forward to this interview today because, as you guys know, I have had on a lot of incredible athletes. And I am an athlete. I love athletes. I think they have incredible stories. But I have been really interested and intrigued and captivated by female entrepreneurship. I just love hearing about how women have built their businesses and have sort of overcome adversity and have how they have gotten their ideas and sort of built out and mapped out an empire. And our guest today is someone who has done exactly that. Her name is Nicole Wegman, and she is more popularly known as the Ring Concierge. Now, if you are in your 20s and you are on Instagram and you've maybe once or twice looked up an engagement ring, you have for sure scrolled and stumbled upon her page, Ring Concierge. They're just these beautiful diamonds. They're just these beautiful diamond rings, beautiful jewelry, beautiful bracelets. And I mean, the way she has designed her feed and her brand is truly incredible because there's not really a place I think guys or girls know where to look for an engagement ring. There's just like a million jewelers. Obviously, people know about Tiffany's, but it's so, so expensive. So it is really cool to me that she sort of created her own brand and has sort of become this like household name amongst couples who are getting engaged based on her jewelry. So I have followed her page for a while, obviously don't tell Max, but let's be real. I have. And I was really excited to get her on the podcast because I just wanted to hear about her whole journey. So without further ado, let's jump into this podcast and hear from an absolute boss lady, ring concierge herself, Nicole Wagman. So excited to have you on the podcast. Me and all of my friends follow your page. We are like the ring concierge. I think you're like going to put Tiffany's to shame one day. Mm -hmm. Um, And it has been really cool to see you totally transform an industry and bring it onto Instagram and make it something that's easily consumable and understandable for young women and all women. Um, So I'm just excited to get to know you and talk with you today. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're excited to be here and to chat about all the things we love about Ring Concierge. I love it. I love it. So did you grow up in New York City? 
I didn't. I grew up in upstate New York, like true upstate, about six hours from the city. But um, I've lived in New York City since I graduated college, which was like 12 years ago, 11, 12 years ago now. Awesome. Yeah, I visited a few times when my boyfriend lived out there and I love it. It's just so fast paced. I feel like it pushes you to get things done and be constantly moving because no one is taking a break. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the energy in New York City is hard to beat. Some people, you know, can't really take it. Like whenever my dad visits, he cannot understand why anyone would want to live there. But for me personally, I think I'm already very driven and energetic and it just feeds even further into that. Right. I think you match well, um, which that's what pulls me to the city is I have that in me too. I love that fast pace, but then I also, it can be like a lot for me as well. So I love it in doses. Um, <laughs> but so you did grow up somewhat, at least close to where you are now. And as a young girl, I'm curious, did you like fantasize about weddings and fairy tales and jewelry? Was that something that you gravitated to as a young girl or did that kind of come with age? No, I've always been into those types of things. I majored in fashion, so I obviously was always into style and kind of what things look like on and how you express yourself in different ways through apparel. And I've always been obsessed with weddings. Like I was one of those, you know, crazy brides that had had a Pinterest board <laughs> for years before my wedding and was actively picking out the, my ring style well before <laughs> I was even close to getting engaged. So it was a pretty natural step for me to move from apparel into jewelry. Got it. I know. I feel like you're literally diagnosing me right now. I'm like, <laughs> so that girl when I was young, like the movies, the rings, everything. Um, I love that. So you studied fashion and where did you go to college? I went to Cornell, they have a fashion program. And then when I graduated, I moved straight to the city and started working for Macy's and then Bloomingdale's corporate. And did you sort of envision designing clothes or your own fashion line? Um, were you into like more formal wear or street wear? I loved the design aspect of it, but I quickly realized I didn't have that talent. Um, it takes a very specific type of talent to really be good at fashion design. So instead, when I was about halfway through college, I transitioned to the business side of fashion, which is what I ended up working in when I graduated. So more of buying and merchandising and product development. And so I basically gained a lot of skill sets in terms of retail in general that I was able to apply to jewelry. And even in fashion, I worked in men's, women's, accessories. So I, was, I had a pretty broad understanding of a retail environment, including luxury goods, because Bloomingdale sells a lot of luxury goods. It sounds like from like your teenage years, at least, you did have this gravitational pull to like design and fashion and like you said, accessories. Was that something that was always clear to you or did you ever kind of struggle with, you know, what am I really passionate about? What do I want to do? I had known from a young age, that's what I wanted to do. Um, I think since like sophomore year of high school, I was pretty set on doing something in that industry. I think I explored other options. And I think at one point I was debating being a doctor, which would have been a terrible decision. Um, actually the year I was applying to college, that was when I had decided I would be a doctor. 
And I got into Cornell actually as a bio major, but by the time I started, I had realized like, that's absolutely not what I want to do and quickly switched back over to the fashion program. Wow. I mean, well, even Cornell, everyone knows the name, the school, the prestige. So I could imagine that you had many, many things that you were good at. And um, I'm glad that you kind of followed your heart. Was the, when you're thinking about like maybe being a doctor, um, what was it that made you think that might be something you wanted to do? I think it was completely salary driven. I think really, I probably Googled like, how do you make the most money? And I had decided specifically I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon because they made the most um, without having to go to like extra school beyond medical school, which in retrospect, it's like disgusting. They're bone doctors. And I just think I just yeah. would never have handled that well. Um, right because also there's this stigma about certain industries not being able to make money. Like the fashion industry is definitely a passion industry and most jobs are lower paying. And if you don't really love it, it's not worth it because you work long hours and it's difficult, but you don't really like make a lot of money. And this conversation had been brought up multiple times from my parents, like, okay, you want to go into fashion, but how are you going to actually make money doing it? And I think there's that same mentality around the jewelry industry. Like, okay, it's nice, it's pretty, but what are you really going to do with that? Um, which I think is a shame because there's so many ways to be innovative in these industries and to really go beyond and be successful or create something you're really proud of. You know, so it's not always just this like fluffy, pretty job that people think it's going to be that maybe they don't think is a viable career path. I love that you sort of had this, these two choices of like kind of conform and make money and know I'm going to be comfortable, but hey, I don't love it. And then I've always loved this, but there's risk. And from the outside looking in, it doesn't look as like financially promising. So what encouraged you to make that choice of, no, I'm going to go for what I love and like trust it's going to work out? Because I think a lot of people who graduate college um, kind of are stuck with that of like, do I kind of follow my dreams and, and go this way? Or is that going to set me behind on what's comfortable? So how did you kind of help make that choice? Yeah, that's a good question. I think a lot of it is what drives me as much as maybe I could do the work and be successful in a bio major, I would have been so unhappy. And I'm the type of person that if I really am passionate and like what I'm focused on, I work 10 times harder just because I want to and because I'm enjoying it. And that in itself can lead to success. And I just knew I couldn't get through four years of undergrad and four years of medical school focusing on a subject that I wasn't even interested in at all. Who are some of your inspirations um, sort of in college or high school in maybe the industry growing up that inspired you to sort of have that drive or where did that drive come from? Because it sounds like you're very determined, hardworking, and we'll later on dive into everything you've built, which obviously is the example of the hard worker you are. Well, I think both my parents have always been hardworking. They both have or had the retired now careers. My mom was a working mom. She was very successful at an advertising agency and my dad worked his way up at an engineering firm from ground zero to become becoming the CEO. 
So they were really driven. And I do think when you have two parents that are very focused on their careers and very driven and prioritize school and education and working, it, it does trickle down, you know, just like accidentally you're instilled with similar values. So I think from a really early age, working hard and being driven to be successful, you know, whatever success means to you, because people define it in many different ways, that had always, that had never been an option in my mind to not get myself there somehow. I love that. I do think it is this quality of people. I think everyone sort of knows what they need to do to maybe get what they want, but then there's a few percentage of people who actually go do that. Um, and so it's really inspiring what you've done. And you said that the experience of picking out your ring is sort of what led you to discover a hole um, in this industry. But I do want to hear about, you know, your proposal and then the ring shopping because I'm a romantic, would love the story, <laughs> but also think it would be a good setup to figure out how this all came to fruition for you. So when did you meet your now husband? We actually met in high school. Um, we've been together forever. So we met in high school, his senior year, my junior year. And then he also went to Cornell. So we were there together and then we moved to the city together. So by the time we actually got around to being ready to get engaged, because obviously we were very young, we had been dating for 10 years. I think, no, nine years at that point. Oh my gosh, um, your high school sweetheart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we'd been pretty openly talking about getting engaged because we were in our mid-20s. We'd been together many years. We had been living together. So it wasn't really a complete surprise that we would go down this path. And I'm definitely the type of person that needs to be involved in things, especially something like picking out a ring that you wear every single day. So he was never allowed to do that on his own, <laughs> nor, nor would he even want to attempt that on his own. I, I love it. I do want to discuss this because I think it is like the most probably expensive purchase, like a man, maybe a young man, whatever, how old they are, will make in their life, like one of the first big purchases because they're not buying the jewelry or the designer shoes that maybe like girls want to buy in their twenties. Guys are just like, Oh, rent and maybe a car, but nothing mm -hmm. too nice. Um, so it is a big deal. And I think that there's this, of course, we all wish that our future husbands or whatever would walk into the store and know exactly what we want. Or it's like sweet home, Alabama. They just turn <laughs> the lights on, pick anything you want. Um, so I love that you're candid about like wanting to be involved in that process, because I think it is something that like, let's, let's be real. Like it is something you'll wear for the rest of your life. It's an intense purchase. You want to love it. Did you have ideas of like, so did you know at that time, like the cut clarity color, what's the fourth one? Um, um, carrot weight. Carrot weight. Yeah. <laughs> did you know about all this stuff sort of from your research or were you, were you more like someone that you work with, like who kind of knows, but is not an expert yet? Yeah, I honestly don't remember completely how I started the search, but I did a lot of it in person, kind of exploring different jewelry stores. So keep in mind, Instagram was brand new at this point. It wasn't really a source of education or inspiration at all for those types of things. It was like really, truly like a social network at that point. And I think... I remember kind of looking at inspiration online, but I also just walked 47th street 
I definitely went into like Harry Winston and Tiffany, even though there's no way we would have ever bought anything from those stores because they're <laughs> so expensive. Yeah. And, but there wasn't a lot of good resources out there. There, there was different pieces of information in different places, but not necessarily from websites where I trusted their style. Maybe they had good diamond education, but their settings were like horrific or, you know, going into the different jewelry stores. I had a difficult time knowing who I could trust because a lot of jewelers will unfortunately talk to you in a way that's benefiting whatever their inventory currently has. So they'd be pushing a certain color and clarity because that's what they have in front of them and they want to try to move it. So I had, a, I had a difficult time navigating it and it took me a long time. I think, you know, this is like probably not normal, but I think I spent about two years on and off, obviously not like full time yeah. trying to figure out what I liked and where I'd want to buy it from. Now, were you, because let's be real, most people don't pick up on this like you. They walk in, they get sold the diamond, the ring, and they're like, great, we got a deal. And really, they don't know that they could have had $10,000 less or whatever it is. Um, so what was, was it your knowledge of sort of fashion and accessories that you were catching on of like, I'm hearing different things from different stores? Like what separated you from the average person that would just buy the product? I don't know if there was really a major separation aside from that I was willing to take the time to figure it all out. Um, and then if you spend enough time on it and you do enough independent research and you explore a variety of jewelers, you can start to put together, okay, that seems like a fair price. I now kind of understand that that's a pretty diamond. That's not a pretty diamond because often the price and the paperwork doesn't even tell you if it's going to be pretty or not. Um, so but I think it's unrealistic for most people to say, I'm going to spend two years exploring yeah. the intricacies of diamonds to try to understand what my preferences are and what an appropriate price is. So you notice that this process, at least for someone who is very passionate about getting the perfect deal and the perfect ring and making sure the process is as good as it can be, you notice that there's a lot of, room to grow here. I don't know who to trust. I'm hearing different things. I don't feel like there's a clean cut place I can go to figure out what I want. And when did you get that idea of, I want to, I want to do that. I want to be the person to fix this. Yeah. So we ended up picking out a ring. He surprised me with the proposal. I wasn't sure if he was really going to buy it or not. So that piece of it kind of happened in a more traditional manner. And then when I was planning my wedding during that whole time period, I had a few friends that were getting engaged and they knew that like, you know, the psycho that I am, I had spent two years doing this. So their boyfriends started taking me with them to help them figure out what ring to buy and what, what, you know, diamond size to get and how much to spend. So I was kind of just helping friends out more so because I had an abnormal amount of information beyond a normal consumer. And that's when I really started to realize that, wow, there is no good resource for guys to go to. And who's acting as the female perspective if they're not bringing their girlfriends with them? Who's helping them decide, you know, like, okay, based on her style, she probably likes this. And that's when I realized there's a huge opportunity to be that person to all of these men out there who need help buying engagement rings. So my initial concept was really to 
be an engagement ring concierge for guys who needed assistance purchasing a ring. And when this idea came to you, was it like, oh my gosh, I want to do this. I want to like quit what I'm doing now. How do I build this? How do I do this thing? Or did it start as sort of the side hustle of I'll send some emails, I'll do some research, see how this is going to work. Um, how did it develop? No, I decided pretty quickly I wanted to do it. I was kind of reaching the end of my road at Bloomingdale's and knew I wanted to make a change anyway. So I left there. I was still thinking about getting another job in fashion, but the second I started to dive into this and explore it, and I actually gained like real clients, paying clients, not just friends, pretty quickly through just our own network, friends of friends. And the moment I realized, okay, I can make money doing this and I'm making it immediately, that's when I dove into it full time, 100%. And where did the name Ring Concierge come from? Because I love it. I think it's iconic. I know you said you wanted to be the concierge. Did you think about names and like plan these out or did that just come to you? No, I definitely explored different names. I was looking at what types of names other people were using, um, something that could help describe the service people would be getting because, you know, I'm and we're still not just traditional jewelers. We're more than that to our clients. And I knew I wanted to have something in there that indicated we're more than your average jeweler. I, I love that. And then did you have to go through a process of formally learning about all of the information and behind the scenes things that goes into diamonds? I would imagine someone like you, I can tell, obviously wants to know every single thing and and know it backwards and forwards so what's where do you, how does one even start that is there a program a course books you study um certificates you have to qualify for yeah so a really good resource is gia so the gemological institute of america they teach courses either in person they have a location in new york and california or you can take courses online and there's different degrees you can walk away from, anything from a really basic jewelry degree to a very comprehensive you know, diamond degree to a graduate gemologist, which, which I think is like a six month full-time program. So depending on what you would wanna do in the industry, you could take the courses that appeal to you. So I definitely took a few courses on jewelry, diamonds, and gemstones just to understand the terminology. And there's obviously a lot technically that goes into it and understanding the intricacies of gemstones. But truthfully, the really what I learned or how I learned the most was trying it and meeting with the different diamond suppliers and the different jewelers and just picking their brain and finding people I trusted that I could really lean on is, and who acted as mentors when in the beginning when I had no idea how the industry worked at all. In the beginning, did you have, I know you said that you gained clients quickly, but did you have any doubts of how can I scale this? Um, is this the right thing to do? Uh, did you have any moments that kind of made you pause for a second? Not really, honestly, it started growing right away and it was growing in a, a a size that i could handle on my own no problem for probably the first two and a half years and then as it started to get busier and i started to build a team and now currently have a much larger team 
that's when it actually becomes a lot more complicated in how do we execute. In the beginning, it, it was pretty easy. You know, there was no problem managing five clients at a time, whereas now we manage, you know, dozens and dozens of clients at a time. Um, so I didn't really have any hesitations. And I, I mean, I still don't, but I certainly didn't in the beginning. You're also very well known on Instagram. You've built a fabulous account and it's thriving. And that is something that as someone who's also on social media, I know that that takes a lot of hard work and it takes brains and it's not as easy as just let me take a picture of this ring and post it. So <laughs> exactly. when you started to veer into Instagram and realize, okay, I can develop this brand online. Did, was that you totally using what you've learned in fashion to kind of create this image and this brand you wanted? Do you have any social media gurus helping you? What were those first months, that first year, like trying to build something on Instagram? Yeah, the Instagram piece I started to explore because I noticed a few other businesses were getting on there. And at first I didn't really even begin to understand how important it would become. Like I would be lying to say, oh, I knew exactly what it would grow into. That's why I did it. Um, I obviously knew it was a nice way to get exposure. I figured I could reach clients beyond my personal network, but I had no idea the complete, you know, power social media would have on the business until about, you know, a year or two later. But it's also a really great place to showcase your work because websites aren't always, you can't always post every single thing you make up onto a website. It's going to be really convoluted. It's going to be messy. So Instagram was just a good tool for, okay, I finished this ring. Here it is. Use a couple hashtags, see what happens. And then when it started to pick up is when I started to become way more strategic about it. How do we really make sure that the brand image is in line? How do we communicate what we do? How do we stand out? How do we gain new customers? How do we increase what we're offering? Because now we have, you know, 30,000 people following us and it turns out 70% are women. So this concept of being the engagement ring concierge for men started to shift when I realized who my actual audience was on Instagram. You, you found out that a lot of people just like you want to come pick out exactly the ring they want, DM it to their guy and say, just contact ring concierge. Exactly. I was like, oh, I am not alone in being the crazy girl that picked out her own ring. Apparently it's everybody. <laughs> <laughs> what was that growth like for you on social media? Was there like a celebrity that first followed you and you were like, oh my gosh, I'm really doing this thing. Well, it was, to be fair, it was easier to grow five years ago on Instagram. It's much harder to grow right now. It's mm -hmm. much harder to gain exposure because there are so many people on it now, so many businesses on it. I was one of the first people in the jewelry industry to use it. So that alone helped me stand out, especially with hashtags. You know, when there's not that many people using the hashtags, diamonds and jewelry and engagement rings and people search it, you're one of the first people that comes up that's an amazing growth tool. And I also would tag a lot of bloggers and influencers who did focus a little bit more on jewelry, hoping that they would repost, which they did, and you get followers that way. So the growth was all organic and there wasn't really this one moment that helped it blow up. It was a pretty steady increase from just the normal ways you would try to grow on social. 
And it just grew really, really fast in the beginning. And especially, you know, two, three years in when I was at, you know, 50,000, 100,000, that growth was crazy fast because they hadn't changed the algorithm yet. So it was, it was an amazing way to scale up the business really quickly. What are the biggest differences you've noticed strategically that you've had to adjust to continue growing in the current climate, which you're totally right about? I mean, there's everyone and their moms on Instagram posting content, using hashtags, being strategic. What do you try to do, you know, to, to help separate yourself and also keep elevated? Yeah, I think... We do a lot of things. One of the most important things that we do that I think a lot of people don't realize because the jewelry industry tends to be a bit antiquated. So the people that are in it might not be as socially savvy in terms of how to make a really strong picture, but we are really diligent about editing and lighting and making sure everything about the picture is perfect before it is posted. There's not a single picture that doesn't have a lot of thought that went into it that doesn't have you know, the perfect lighting so that the diamonds look amazing. We make sure my skin doesn't look you know, dry. And if it's not a beautiful picture, like the ring could be a 10 karat diamond, but if the whole picture is like janky, it's not gonna perform well. That's funny because you know, to us, it looks like you're just like with all your diamonds at your window, like boom. <laughs> exactly, I mean, it, it, I, I obviously got the whole process down pretty quickly at this point, I've taken thousands of pictures of my hands. So I know right away, like, okay, this lighting is terrible. I'm not, even, I'm not even gonna try something. And we've set up the office so that all of the lights in the ceiling rep replicate daylight so that everything always has like this perfect, pretty lighting. So I can take pictures kind of anywhere in the office and know they're gonna turn out well. So that's a big part of it. And then making sure you're staying consistent with your style for all of the things that you post. So, you know, if you generally post everything really crisp and clean and bright lighting, don't deviate from that because people will start to recognize that, oh, that's a ring concierge post. You always want to have a picture pull up in a feed and for somebody to know whose picture it is before they even read the handle. That's kind of the goal with how you curate and how you edit an Instagram feed page. Especially because there are so many jewelers and so many rings out there and people trying to do similar things that it's incredibly smart to try to differentiate yourself that how can they see this, these diamonds and know that they're ours or I know your nail polish as well is something that people into it too. And um, I guess just on the business side of things, and this is so fascinating to me, obviously as a female entrepreneur myself, and you're a female entrepreneur who's absolutely killed it. I want to hear a little bit about kind of building out your vision. So you start, you get the clients, you're working hard. What about that first or second employee you hired? What was that process like trying to find someone you trusted to help you create what you wanted? Because I personally am someone that I know what I want and I wish I could literally do everything. If I could not have to have someone help me, I would do it that way, but it is impossible to grow and expand if it's just one person. So how did you vet and find people who could help you do that? Well, it's a great question because what I looked for back then is very different than what I, than what I look for now in an employee. So the, when I realized I needed help because I'm exactly like you are, I, I'm not great at delegating. I'm definitely 
a doer. I like to do everything. It's difficult for me to trust that things will be executed in the way that I'd like when I'm not the one doing it. So separately, that was a challenge and it continues to be a challenge. But um, I launched the website a few years into the company because like I said, I saw so many female followers on Instagram and not all of them necessarily were in the market for an engagement ring or even in a relationship or possibly they were already married. They just liked jewelry. So that's what, why they were following the account. So I was like, okay, how can I capitalize off of them? I have all these people sitting here watching me and they can't buy what I'm offering. And that's when I recognized I needed to offer the fine jewelry, like more of the fashion jewelry, you know, bracelets, necklaces, earrings at a variety of price points that women could just self-purchase. So I launched the website and that too started to grow organically on its own. And then it started to pick up where it wasn't realistic for me to be managing my clients as well as shipping e-com packages every day. So I put a posting on Instagram that I needed an assistant and interviewed a few people and found this person that I loved, I still love. And she was just very genuine. She loved jewelry. She was young. She was totally cool with working out of my apartment because that's where I was currently operating. And I needed somebody that basically would be really flexible and comfortable with kind of an unknown environment that wasn't that professional because it wasn't an office job. And that takes a certain type of person, um, you know, very different than what I look for now in employees. And now we have an office, we have a team of many people and everything needs to be very streamlined, very organized. It's much more professional. I require people to be very efficient and to really be strong in their specific roles. And so when you're hiring the way we do now, you have to really vet a little further to specific skill sets and also vet that they're going to fit in with the team culture because there are so many people that you have to be careful that you're not shifting or losing the culture that's important to you. That is so important, the culture and the team you're building. And I'm an athlete, so I love this idea of building a team that you can trust and go to battle with. And that battle could be managing a hundred clients at once. And like that is still battle. And so <laughs> have you, what is it, as you've, you said, there, you have changed a lot from how you used to hire to how you hire now. What are some of the most important things you've learned as a boss um, when it comes to building a successful team and hiring the right people in a brand? Because um, I'm sure that that is something that you've gained some insight in over time with that experience. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a learning process and I'm still learning. One of the most helpful things that I ended up utilizing was I hired an HR consultant. She still works for us. She basically works full time now with us. Um, I knew I needed help interviewing. I didn't have the tools. I obviously you can have a conversation with somebody and you can use your best judgment, but there are actually a lot of strategic things you can be doing during interviews and ways you can speak to people to have a better understanding to how, as to how they're going to operate when they're actually working for you, as opposed to trying to impress you. So that has been, what are some of those tricks? I know. No, it's great. I mean, like, this is a really basic one, but I love this. She does this every time she interviews somebody for me. She asks them to go through their resume um, from the oldest to newest 
job that they've had or experience that they've had and just talk her through it. And you would be shocked how many people start with their most recent job or skip over things. And the reason why she does this is not to try to catch them in a lie, but obviously like, let's make sure, but because she's gauging how well are they going to follow direction and how much are they going to, like how much attention to detail will they have? Because the real thing she's looking for is, are they going to go reverse chronicle, chronological order and are they going to hit every one of their steps that's on this resume? Wow. I love that. I'm like, would I do that? I think I would, but I'd be like, are we wasting time as I go through all these bullet points? But it's true. Like someone's going to listen to you. They're going to do exactly what you say. Um, and it's not easy to gauge from an interview what it will actually be like to work with someone, like what their, what their tics are when they get irritated. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when they're, when they pitch an idea to you and you say, no, please do it this way. going to be bitter. Or are they going to say, okay, you're my boss. I'll do what you want. Yeah, it's hard. And obviously like, it's not a perfect process, but I think what I realized is more, most importantly, I realized I needed help. And at the end of the day, you cannot do everything yourself. You can't be an expert in everything. You know, you won't be successful if you operate that way. So what can you outsource? What can you get guidance on? Where can you utilize people that are better at something than you so that as a whole company, you get better? How did you handle any moments, months, or times where you felt overwhelmed with what you were managing, the people you were running, the clients you had, waiting for the diamond to be cut right, whatever it was? How do you stay calm and focused during those times as um, an entrepreneur? Well, that's every day. So, <laughs> so I'm still working on that. No, but I think the biggest thing is keeping your composure. Um, I operate very well under stress. It's never been the type of thing that causes me to stop and not be able to operate. I can keep going. No problem. I handle problems well and emergencies well. Those are all things I'm strong at. But the balance is obviously not letting it build up and get to you over time because yes, things are stressful and I have a large team and we have a lot of clients and the biggest, the biggest challenge we have actually, which is a good problem to have is the growth is so insane. How do we keep up with it? Um, but at the same time, how do you do this for what's now been three years in a row without completely burning out or losing your mind? So I think keeping a positive attitude is important because at the end of the day, I chose to do this. I don't have to do this. No one's forcing me to. I could walk away at any moment. And I, this is what I want to be doing. So reminding yourself that this is a choice. This is, you know, I'm extremely lucky to even have this opportunity. And, you know, what they used to tell us at, in fashion, because people cried a lot for whatever reason in fashion. <laughs> I remember I had this one boss that would say, you know, no need to cry. We're not saving lives. We're selling clothing. And it does help put things into perspective. You know, mm -hmm. you want to be passionate and care a ton about your job and you want to take everything very seriously. But at the end of the day, like take a step back. We're not performing open heart surgery. If <laughs> yeah. this one thing doesn't go how I want it to go, I probably won't even remember it in two weeks from now. So just try to gain a little perspective and not let every single thing throw you off course. Yeah. And I love everything you just said. It's fascinating because anyone from the outside looking in at someone else's life or profession can think, oh, if I got to just wear diamonds all day long, I would be so happy and it would be so fun and I would never get stressed. 
but you, you mentioned the word burnout. Like, how do you manage not burning out from what you love? I mean, are there days where you're like, I don't want to put any rings on. I just want to be my PJs. It's Sunday. And I don't want to talk about jewelry. Or is this every day in your life, you know, you're going to have to have those conversations and be a part of business because it's nonstop for you. Um, but how do you keep it exciting and make sure you do have those moments where you can keep yourself refreshed? I think it's really important to give yourself one day a week. I mean, I know technically weekends are two days. I don't have the luxury of having a two day weekend, <laughs> but the times that I work through the weekend and don't take a real break where I don't do anything jewelry related, those are the, the next week is usually really hard for me. And then like a midweek, I'll notice like Wednesday afternoon, oh my God, I'm not focusing on anything. I'm in a bad mood. And so I do think you need to reset always, even if it feels like I have so much to do, there's no way I can just not do something for the next six hours. It's going to throw me off course. I'm going to get behind it always in the long run. You're more productive when you allow yourself to take a break than just powering through for so many days in a row. It will catch up to you. I mean, we're only human at the end of the day. So I do try to let myself have one day a week where, I mean, I'm still going to go on Instagram. I'm probably still going to post something or see what's happening or story, right. but not, but not really, really work that day. Right. And I love that you do, you are able to strike a balance, but something that I think the reality is, is like, it's hard work to build your own company, your own brand, employ people and have this float and continue to get bigger. It's going to be hard work. And I think a lot of people don't know the reality of what that actually means, but they love the glitz and glam of like starting a company or starting something. So what would sort of your advice be or words of wisdom for any entrepreneurs, specifically women, um, just because you can speak to that personally, that want to build out their visions? I think that's such a good point. So we get so many DMs from younger women who say, I, like, your job seems so much fun. How can I do that? And it's really hard to not write back. It is far from fun. Like that's not really the right way to describe it. It's rewarding. Right. It's a beautiful product, but it's such hard work. And I think everyone on the team can attest to this, especially because, you know, they also see these DMs and we kind of laugh. We're like, oh my God, I wish all we did was take pictures of diamonds all day. But, <laughs> Yeah, it's, I would tell people that want to start a company, do not even attempt it if you're not willing to work the hardest you've ever worked in your whole life. And that's okay because not everybody values work over other parts of their life. That's totally fine. If you know it's really important to you to have a really great work-life balance and you don't want to work after 7 p.m. and you want your weekends to be your weekends, you cannot start a company. Um, at least not a company that you plan to make successful. It is not possible. You have to breathe it. You have to live it every single day. You are, you're this, the only person that cares about it as much as you. It's your company. It's your baby. And if you're not going to put in that work, no one else is. And it's never going to turn into anything. Yeah. I think there's this misconception that people have of, oh, if I start my own thing, yeah, I can stop at seven. I can have my weekends. I can have my own vacation days because I'm my boss, but they don't realize that that's, yeah, like you said, not how it works. You're not going to be able to give yourself those times if you're going to be doing something that's going to be successful. Yeah. It could not be more the opposite. I don't, <laughs> my husband and I were like joking. He also has his own company. When's the last time, like we can't even, even remember when's the last time on a weekend we didn't talk about work, didn't think about work, didn't do work. I mean, 
like it was, it was when I had a corporate job, it was nine to six weekdays and we weren't expected to work on weekends. We didn't take our laptops home. I think we didn't even have laptops. They were like true desktop computers, but that's been, it's been six, seven years since I've had a life where I could actually turn off and truly not think about it off hours. Otherwise, even if you're not working, you're thinking about it. Every dinner conversation shifts to work. It's just, it's all consuming. You, wherever you go, exciting. someone will have a piece of jewelry and your business brain's going to be like looking at it like, it's designed by like this, this. Um, I totally get it. But I think the cool thing about your, your work too is like, there's so much purpose. Like you are creating something that is to like sanctify and unite the love of some two people that they can be so happy for. So I think the awesome thing about what you do too, is like, it is an emotional thing that's going to impact someone's life, um, which can sort of keep that going. And how often are you reminded of that? Have there been any special couples you get to watch interact and you think about like young love and true love, and then that brings you joy. You have to, I'm guessing you have to love that relationship part of it too. Yeah. I mean, when I started out and all I did was work with couples, it was a much bigger part of my drive because it is really nice. It is an exciting moment. Um, hopefully you only get engaged once. So it's really cute and special to be a part of it. And most important to, importantly to me is to see her receive a ring that she's in love with. And it was like her dream ring or beyond her expectations. Now I work with clients much less. I have a, you know, a bridal sales team that they're really interacting with clients. So I do lose a little bit of that, but whenever I get sent really pretty engagement pictures or we get like a five-star Yelp review about how happy they are, it's a great reminder because I would love to kind of be more in tune with that still. It's just not realistic with how I have to run my day, but it is the most exciting part of the whole job is to see how in love and how happy these couples are when they get a ring concierge ring. I bet. And I, and I bet, I, I feel like there might be some people who are like, we want to work with Nicole. We want her to look at this ring and approve this ring. And you probably have to pick and choose like how you're going to manage your time. Yeah, it still happens now and then. And if it's a really strong request, I try to be involved in the process, but I also tell them like, look, you're going to have a much better experience not working with me. Mm -hmm. I have such free time in a day, like such little free time in a day. You're going to get a much faster response rate, a much better customer service experience. If you work with somebody on the sales team, because this is their whole life is focusing on you guys and the clients. If you get me, like it could be three days before I respond to an email because I get 200 emails a day. Right. And that's, that's why you made them read the resumes backwards. They could be the perfect person to help in this couple. Exactly. Um, and we're almost done. And I guess I just want to wrap up by kind of asking you how you feel now taking time to reflect and look at everything you've built. I know there's that entrepreneur crave for always more and bigger and expanding and all of that. But in general, you are wildly successful. You are for most brides, a household name, they, you're the first person they find on Instagram. How does it feel to think about what you've built? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult to reflect because it doesn't feel so overnight to me. You know what I mean? Like it all progressed over the past six years. So each kind of little career highlight in my mind, I was excited about it at that one time. Um, so 
it's tough because I know it's grown so much and it is something I'm so proud of and I have such a great team and they're so amazing and that's part of a big part of my drive and things I'm proud of now. Um, but I am the type of person that's always looking forward. I'm bad at taking a step back and saying, wow, isn't this amazing? Like, couldn't this just be enough? It probably never will be for me. I'm always like, okay, so yeah, that was great. We tripled last year, but how do we triple or quadruple this year? And that's just how my brain works. So maybe it's not the greatest um, mentality to have, but I think that's also partially why I am so driven. It's really awesome. And I think in the very beginning, you mentioned this, like the money of the being a coming a doctor versus the passion of what you loved. And it's really cool to see that you built your passion up to sort of be the best of both worlds for you and have this incredible entrepreneurial lifestyle. So appreciate everything that you shared today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Real Pod. I hope that you are inspired and your entrepreneur juices are flowing. If you want to keep up with Nicole, you can follow her Instagram account. It is at Ring Concierge. It is definitely an entertaining follow, a great follow, just because of it is such a great follow, not only because of her beautiful jewelry, but of the couples and the stories and just the artistry behind the jewelry design. So go ahead and follow Ring Concierge. Thank you guys again for listening to this podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast episodes. And I will see you back here next Thursday. Keep it real out there.